So good morning. Uh, Thanks for giving us uh, last week off. Last week uh, we took the Sunday off and it was restful and wonderful. Uh, And we've just finished up our series through Galatians. So for the next few weeks, you're actually going to hear from all of us on the leadership team. Uh, All the elders are either chipping in for Sunday school or sermons over the next few weeks. Uh, Because I thought it'd be good for us just to be able to hear from all of us. Uh, to see what the Lord is teaching us. So uh, a little bit different than what we usually do. Usually we spend a whole lot of time in a book, uh, but for the next few weeks we might just be all over the place, and that's okay. Um, So this morning I wanted to uh, go to the book of Job, Um, and maybe uh, this topic we're going to talk about is, uh, maybe you can say, okay, this is a bit redundant here. We, We tend to talk a whole lot about suffering here. Uh, We talk a lot about suffering in the life of the Christian here, uh, and and that is on purpose. Uh, That is for a reason. Uh, We want, I don't think Eric and I or the elders and I have ever sat down and said, hey, we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about suffering. Uh, But it's good that we do. It's good that we get a perspective of our suffering as Christians and what that means and what that doesn't mean for us. And the whole theme of Scripture being suffering and glory and all of that's all connected. Uh, So I thought it would be good for us to go back into uh, the book of Job uh, and and ask this question, what do we do with suffering? What do we do with pain? What do we do with various afflictions? And and these afflictions can be so relative, right? Uh, We all have these pains. We all have these struggles, these afflictions. uh, But the emotional experience of them tends to be the same. What do we do with our pain? It's easy to ask questions like, where is God when when children go to school in Florida and are gunned down in the place that should be the safest place for them? Where is God? That's what we want to ask, right? Where is God? Where is God when I get sick? And not just a cold, but where is God when I get cancer? Where is God when my, life, when my wife leaves? Or where is God when X, Y, Z happens? We all experience these pains. And we want to know why. We, we want to we have an intrinsic answer. We want evidence. Why do I suffer? Why did this happen to me, God? We, we want a definitive, rational explanation for our suffering. Because we want to make sense of it. So that would be good for us to go to Job. Because I find Job uh, to be probably the greatest uh, illustrative picture of suffering and the people of God. And I pray that over these next 25 minutes that really what would happen is that we would see the humanness of Job, that we'd find a bit of a relatable connection to Job, that we'd find ourselves in the person of Job, but that it wouldn't end there, but that we would also lose ourselves in the divinity of God Almighty. So that's kind of my prayer this morning, that we would see that our heart would echo with Job. That'd be like, Job, I get it. I get your fears. I get your struggles. I get your angst. But that we'd also lose ourselves and how big our God is, as Job does at the end. It's kind of the goal this morning. So if you see in the bulletin, I've entitled this sermon, The God of the Whirlwind. Uh, that'll make sense in a minute when we get to our text. But the God of the whirlwind. So turn with me, if you would, to Job chapter 3. And we're going to spend the majority of our morning in chapter 38, but before we get to 38, I thought it would be good for us to walk a bit through Job's experience of suffering. In Job chapter 3. And this is right after chapters 1 and 2, obviously. 
But it's right after, good, good point, Dave, right? Yeah, right after, you wouldn't believe it, but chapter three is right after one and two. Uh, but it's right after the events of one and two. Do you remember what happens in Job chapter one, Job chapter two? Yeah, Vicky, that's perfect. Yeah, Job loses everything. Remember, he, he loses his, his business. That's all done, devastated. Financial ruin. Family gone. Loses everything. As you read the text, probably quickly, probably wasn't really that long of a process. He probably lost everything in a very short window of time, kind of culminating in even his wife saying, Job, this is ridiculous. Just curse God and die. He loses everything. In a small matter of time, and Job speaks. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, God's word says this, is after this, after this, after all these events, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of months. Behold, let the night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, who curse the day, who are already to rouse up Leviathan, let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's wombs, of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Ever been there? That's an immense experience of pain. Job's lost everything. And he gets to the point, he's so fed up, he's like, God, I, I just wish I was, not only was I, wished I never was born, I wish in fact I was born and I would die. Because it would be infinitely better than this experience that I'm experiencing now. Ever been there? Suffering to the point that you just wished you had never been born. And friends, real quick, there's a little lesson in here for us. I think it's just that God is big enough to handle these questions. What I love about Job's statement is he's raw and he's real. And I think for us, we have to stop this political correctness in our approach to God. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be honest with God and cry out to God and say, God, this is horrible. I wish I wasn't born. This is such pain. And then it gets ratcheted up for him because you look over to chapter 4, And his friend starts to give him some advice in verses 3 and 4. And his friends say this about Job. He says, Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak with hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbled, and you have made firm the feeble knees. Not only did Job suffer, his friends say, Job, you're a pretty good person. So Job is not only suffering, he's suffering as a good person. Not only did Job's friends say you were good. Remember what got Job in his whole situation to begin with? He was a good person. 
God himself said to Satan, consider my guy Job. Never been there? Where you're not just suffering, but you're suffering as a good, you're like, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? I'm, I'm serving you. I'm faithful to you. I love the humanness of Job that comes out. And I think there's a lot in there for us. Not only this questioning of why we suffer, but why we suffer as good people. What a question. And Job continues to wrestle with it all throughout the book as it spins along and he's interacting with his friends, kind of culminating in Job chapter 31. Let's turn there real quick. And finally, Job 31 comes in after Job's received all this advice from his friends. He's talked to them. They've offered all these suggestions about maybe why he's suffering. Maybe, maybe he was sinful. Maybe he did something bad. Maybe he needs to repent of something. Maybe something was wrong. And Job is just losing his mind and under, trying to understand the suffering. And in chapter 31, Job spends the entire chapter wrestling with this idea of why am I suffering as a good person? And you see it right from his mouth in verses 3 and 4. He says, Is not calamity for the unrighteous in disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number my steps? That Job's wrestling with this. He's like, why am I suffering? I thought only bad people suffered. I thought calamity was only for the unrighteous. God, you said I was good. You said I was a righteous man. And I'm suffering. And God finally answers Job in chapter 38. Now let's flip over to there. This kind of ends the conversations between Job and his friends and trying to figure out why he's suffering. And God finally answers Job. And his answer is almost troubling when you first read it. And we'll get to why I think it's troubling. But here's what God says to Job. And I thought we'd read the whole chapter. And as we read this, think through yourself. If, if I'm suffering and in pain, and I've been trying to make sense of my pain... Is this the answer that I would want? So let's, let's read Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Uh, who determines its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or, or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the seas? with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no further. 
and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the places of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the numbers of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain? And a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is on the desert, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground spout with grass? Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? And the waters become like, become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lion when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thickets? Who provides for the raven and its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about, for lack of food. If I was suffering, which I do, and I wanted to know why I was suffering, and I'm crying out to God, and if God gave me a lesson in biology, I'd be a little frustrated. Why do you suppose God does this? Isn't it interesting? And Job's crying in his suffering, in anguish and in pain. What is happening here? And in fact, what's really interesting, and I, and I never thought about this until this week as I was studying this out, that God never gives Job a reason why. 
He never gives Job a reason why he suffered. He's in pain, he's in turmoil, he's struggling, and God says, this, this, all this speech between here and the end of the book, and he never once answers Job's question of why. And instead, he describes himself to Job. And in here, I think, is the richness of understanding and finding comfort in our pain and understanding God. God defines himself to Job. He proclaims his limitlessness while displaying Job's limitedness. I love that in this chapter. That Job, that God sets himself up high and mighty as the limitless one, as the one who did all of these things, as the one who set all things in order in the face of Job's own limitedness. And it almost sounds sarcastic as you read through it. As God will ask Job a question, and he'll be like, oh, surely you were there, Job. He presents himself as the high and lifted up one. He sets himself up as the big God who is infinitely sovereign over all things as opposed to Job's and humanity's finiteness. And why is this though? Why would God provide Job with a vision of a big God over explaining his suffering? And here's what I think. While we may never find the answer to the why, and I wish I could give you an answer. I wish I could look you all in the eyes and be honest and look at every one of you and say, here's why this situation happened. Or here's why this pain happened. But I can't. But here's why I think Job chapter 38 is so great. Because we may never find an answer to the why of our suffering, yet we can come face to face with the transcendent God of the universe. The one who sits enthroned above all things, the one through whom all things exist and function, the one through whom at this very moment is upholding the universe, the very fact that we are sitting here constructed in bodies is because he's holding us together. The one through whom the foundation of the world was laid, the unchangeable one, the immutable one, the one through whom we live and move and have our being, according to Dr. Luke in Acts. And Luke adds to that in that chapter in Acts. And not only does he say we live and move and have our being, he also says he's also designed the very places in which you will live. The one who has so orchestrated your life, planned your life. We can come face to face with the one through whom, according to Paul in Colossians, that little chapter we read this morning, is before all things and holding all things together. And here's the beautiful side note to that. The one has a name, and we know his name is Jesus. Jesus, the uplifted one, the almighty one, holding all things, designing all things, sustaining all things. In Jeremiah 33, there's this beautiful little statement from the Lord where he refers to the rising and setting of the sun as a glorious picture and reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness. I love that. Jeremiah 33 is a great chapter. So when we come face to face with the reality of who God is, we see more clearly his faithfulness and power displayed in the created order. And he is faithful to cause, and if he's faithful to cause sunrises and sunsets, then friends, we can rest assured that we, as his blood-brought children, can trust him with our pain. Amen? That's what we can rest assured in. Now, 
Job 38, verse 1. That's what I think. That's what I think is happening here. That's why I think God describes himself to Job in that way. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I love that statement. What's interesting about that is, did God show up in a tornado? It's kind of interesting, because nothing had happened yet. They were just kind of conversing, and then out of nowhere, it says that God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. That was kind of interesting. Did, was Job just sitting there, and his friends were kind of hanging out, and they're sitting maybe kind of like up at Eric's house, a little fire pit with some chairs around it, and they're trying to explain why they're suffering. Did God just show up in a storm? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think here's what's happening. I think this idea of a whirlwind, I think it's a figurative statement revealing the weight and pain of Job's circumstance. In other words, Job's chaos. The whirlwind of Job's situation. And friends, I think if we were honest, suffering presents itself often like a whirlwind. Chaotic, uncontrollable, no hope, no control over it. And what I love about that statement is the location of the Lord to Job's chaos. What does his word say? The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He was in Job's chaos. He was in it. He spoke out of it. Friends, God is in your chaos. God is speaking to you in and out of your chaos. Why? It's by God's design. As we'll see in chapter 38, there's nothing that happens to you, to me, to Job that is outside the sovereign hand and eye of God. Amen? Nothing catches him by surprise. And in fact, maybe our prayers need to change from saying, be with me, to saying, let me actually experience you. Let me see that you are here because you are here. I love that statement, friend. If I don't know where you're struggling this morning, but God is in your chaos. And I love that he speaks to Job out of it. Speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. It's incredible. This unchangeable God who sits enthroned above all things. And catch this, as he explains in chapter 38, sits enthroned above all things from orbits and black holes to your tears and your fears. God is reactionary to none of it. None of it catches God by surprise. So when you suffer as a Christian, as a a righteous individual, it's not like God says, oh no, I forgot about that one. He's with you. We know he's indwelling us through his spirit. We're never out of his presence, never out of his sight. He's in your chaos. And God goes on to describe himself to Job. And he does so in three, I, I kind of see some three different ways in which he does it. And, and the first is this, and it, it's not really specifically broken down like this, and it, we have to remember with ancient people, maybe they weren't scientifically minded as we are, but you can kind of pull some modern scientific things out of Job 38 and how he speaks to Job. The first is this, he reminds Job that his sovereign hand is over the geologic and biologic world. You see that in verses 4 through 11, when he speaks of laying the foundations of the earth, setting up oceans. 
prescribing limits to it. We, we see it in, if you skip ahead to chapter 39, verse 1 through 4, he describes birthing and animals giving birth. And it means this, that every cave and every chasm and every mountain and every peak and every contraction and every infant from the deepest of oceans to the highest of peaks, all of it is both designed and sustained by the mighty hand of our great God. That's what he reminds Job of. When he says, Job, I planned the seas, I've made the mountains, all of it, saying, I'm designed it, and I'm sustaining it. I've got this. The second thing he brings up is God's sovereign hand over the celestial order, which is pretty incredible as you read through this text. If you're at all, I'm a star nerd. Like, anything to do with space, I love. Interstellar, that movie, will make you weep. I'm a OG nerd, man. And I love that God addresses this and shows Job. You see it in verse 12 and 13. Or, or rather, uh, verse 12, he says, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn, the dawn to know its place? I love down in verse 24, he reminds Job, What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? I love that statement. How do you get to the sun, Job? Where does light come from? And later, he mentions constellations in verse 31 and verse 32. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? All of it to remind Job of this, that every planet and every atmosphere, every black hole and every distant galaxy, every wave of light and pole of gravity, the fact that we're sitting here today is mentioning the fact that he's orchestrating the speed of not only our rotation, but upholding the very fabric upon which the planet sits. All of it designed and sustained by the mighty hand of our great God. That's what he tells Job. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, you're in pain. But I'm upholding all of this. I can uphold you, Job. And then he reminds Job of his sovereign hand over weather. You see it through verses 22 through 27. He speaks of rain, speaks of snow, reminding us that every drop of rain, every flake of snow, every little dot on your windshield driving here this morning that you had to turn your wipers on to be able to see, every ounce of fog and cloud, both gray and white, both nice clouds that look really great and gray clouds that you know something bad is coming. Every hurricane and tidal wave, every monsoon and drought, all of it both designed and sustained by the mighty hand of our great God. And he reminds Job of this. He says, Job, I've got that. I've got you. Turn with me to Psalm chapter Job's trying to find an answer for his pain. He's trying to find an answer. Why am I suffering like this? And God answers him by by telling him, Job, I am sovereign over all of this. I'm in control of all of this. And reminding Job, if I can control that, then don't think for a moment that I've lost sight of you. And the psalmist reminds us this. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. The heavens declare... 
the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And it goes on. It just, that thought of verse one, that the heavens declare the glory of God. That the entire created order screams that there's a creator and screams that there's a sustainer. And that's why God, in Job's suffering, took a moment to say, I've created it. I'm sustaining it. I've created you. I will sustain you. There might not be an answer for your pain, but I've got you. You are mine. That's our picture for us today. We are the blood-bought children of God Almighty through his son, Jesus. And you better believe, Jesus would talk about this, if I'll feed the birds and I'll clothe the lilies of the valley, how much not more so will I care for you? love that he goes to the natural order. And we see this, that the deeper that we dive into fields of quantum mechanics and we swim in the world of subatomic particles, we're left in awe of our limitedness. Seriously, go home and use the Google machine to research quantum mechanics. Just play with that for 10 minutes and see if you can scoop your, no, your brains out of your nose. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And the deeper that we dive into astrophysics and the world of the cosmos, we're left in awe of our own limitedness as we come face to face with his limitlessness. It's incredible. All of it declaring the glory of God, the awesomeness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the design of God. And what about our suffering? Why? Why do we suffer? I'm not sure. But I am sure of this. I I can't tell you intrinsically, here's why, Eric, here's why you suffered. Here's why you stubbed your toe this morning. Did you stub your toe this morning? Bummer. But your head, that's what happened. I can't tell you why. But here's what I am sure of. That he who sits enthroned above the heavens, the God who has ordered all things, every good and every bad, every rain that brings growth, And every rain that brings destruction, not a single drop of it is out of his control. Not a single ounce of your suffering is by accident or without purpose. Every event that cripples you is first passed through the mighty hand of God. And we know this, that if he who holds the stars in orbit says that he is working all things together for your good, he means it. And we've said this before, when we say he's working all things together for our good, God's defining good as the ultimate good. Which means momentary good is kind of out of the window, and I learned that as being a parent. Parenting is really a big lesson in ultimate goods. (laughs) Nothing like, yeah, I got baby stuff all over my shoulder today, and trying to to figure out, this isn't, you're going to be upset with me right now, but this is ultimately good for you. That's how God works with us. So here's a couple quick pieces of advice. I thought we'd end with just very three practical things if I could give you if you're dealing with suffering, if you're walking through suffering today, as you read Job 38. I just want to give you three practical little pieces of advice. Number one, get outside. 
Get outside. Remove yourselves from objects and things that have been created by man. Stare at the lake, mountains, critters. Seriously, sit in the presence of the handiwork of God. It's declaring to you, are you listening? And I think that's our problem as modern people, that we tend to surround ourselves with things that we've made, things that have our fingerprints all over it. Get outside. Have a Job 38 experience. Number two, unplug. Put your device down. Throw it in the lake. Instead of kickball, maybe we'll play softball with devices at your house. How about that? Take your headphones out. Listen, rest. Lastly, be honest with God. Be like Job. Let him know your struggle. God's big enough. Let him know your fears, your frustrations. He already knows them anyway. He's good and powerful enough to listen. God can handle your tears, friends. And he can handle your questions. And then one last piece of advice. If we're dealing with suffering, for, if you're dealing with suffering of a friend, I'll just give you one piece of advice. Shut up. Here's what I mean by that. Sit and listen. Don't be like Job's friends, trying to sweep in and save the day. More often than not, when someone's suffering, they don't need an answer to fix the situation, but rather they need a friend. And you see that in Job chapter 2. The best thing Job's friends did at the end of Job 2, they sat there for seven days and were quiet, suffering with Job. And that was pretty good. And then they got in trouble when they started talking. Get them coffee. Get them lunch, watch their dog, earn the right to offer advice. And there's a big difference, friends, between being bold and being pushy. Sometimes being quiet is really good. So if you're suffering this morning, God is not distant from you. God is in your chaos. He's in the whirlwind, friends. And I know I really haven't offered any intrinsic answer for your suffering, but I pray that maybe this morning we've caught a vision of how big God is. And if he can uphold all of this stuff, then he could probably uphold all of this stuff. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, praise you. We praise you that you are a big God. We praise you that you sit sovereignly enthroned above all things, good, bad, in between, that you are the grand orchestrator of all things. Help us to rest in you. Help us to see you. Help us to get a vision of your bigness. Help us to revel in being made your children through Jesus. Help us to walk with you. We love you and we thank you for your word. And it's in the mighty name of King Jesus we pray. Amen.